0: You have sat too long here for any good you have been doing. Depart, I say. And let us have done with you. In the name of God, go. These were the words, uh, of course, uttered by Labour MP Arthur Greenwood during the Norway debate in 1940, uh, to which Tory MP Leo Amory replied, Speak for England, Arthur. And uh, just months later, Neville Chamberlain and was replaced by Winston Churchill. Now today we'll be discussing uh, a man who thought he was emulating Churchill himself, uh, Boris Johnson. Um, but uh, first of all, we'll be looking at the two important by-elections coming up. And um, yeah, uh, we'll be seeing uh, what Johnson's uh, future prospects are if you were to lose these two seats. And i um, happy today to, to say that uh, we have two guests of us today. We have uh, Jake and uh, William. Uh, welcome, Yes.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: <laughs> it's my fated return. It's been a while since I've been on, but here I am again.
0: Well, can you just, uh, both of you, give yourselves a little bit of background, your political journey?
2: Well, uh, for me, I mean, I was a all, used to be, went to the SDP. Now I say, like, I'm just nondescript. I'll, I'll swing either way, you know. I, I haven't got a, a solid identity anymore. Uh, but I'm from Lincoln, which is a, a seat that doesn't get talked about much. But if you're talking about elections, it's quite an important seat because uh, they need it if they, if they want a majority. So uh, I'm in a marginal place. And, uh, Jake, you're from Stockport, aren't you, right?
1: Well, I'm from Stockport, but I live in a slightly more marginal seat. And... I'm definitely your run-of-the-mill swing voter because in the general election since 2005, I probably would have voted for four or five different political parties. But most of the time, I do um, generally look into elections in my free time. And I did actually have a piece published in the Northern Agenda newsletter on the Stockport local elections last month.
2: Well, I suppose I should add quickly that I I do write for one book. I used to be a regular contributor now I'm just sort of like every once in blue moon you know so yeah
0: enough to put it in the, the Twitter bio though of course
2: oh yeah so I should probably take that off eventually
0: <laughs> no no of course not. Oh, um, dear. so let, let, let's get into the swing of things we'll, we'll start off with uh, the Tiverton and Honiton by election uh, so just a little bit of context before we dive into a debate so the reason why the seat has been vacated was uh, quite hilarious really it was uh, Neil Parish was forced to resign after he was uh, caught with uh, pornography on his phone um, during uh, parliamentary time, I believe. Um, so the the Tories have been in this have controlled this seat since its creation in 1997, but the town as a whole as a whole, Uh, has been Tory since 1880. Uh, The Lib Dems were the second party from 97 to 2010, and they came close a few times. I think 1997, they were under 2,000 votes away from winning. Um, But in the last two elections, I believe, uh, Labour have been the second party. So the 29 result was the Tories won almost 36,000 seats, about 60% of the vote. Labour, 11,500 uh, votes, which was uh, yeah just under 20%. And the Lib Dems, around uh, almost 9,000 uh, votes, which was, uh, well, I've put 100- 154%, which is obviously wrong, so I'm guessing that's 15%. Uh, and, uh, one other thing that we should say is that uh, it voted 58% in favour of Brexit, so this is fairly heavily voting constituency. And according to the electoral calculus, the constituency is more economically right-wing, nationalist and socially conservative than uh, the national average. So um, lads, um, what are the main issues facing us in this uh, by-election? Well, one thing I think we've
1: got, Couples in together is the cost of the living crisis' specific impact on farmers and the apparent Tory failure to address it slash complacency on the issue. So, as shown by when Ed Davey raised it in Parliament. If you've seen the video where the Tory MPs were immediately basically laughing him down when he was trying to raise the issues faced by farming communities in Devon, obviously in part because of the by but it also does show a general complacency that we have seen other parties have towards their natural voter base, I think. We've seen increasingly since, I'd say, the 2010 election with the Lib Dems having built their position that they lost in 2015, both Labour and the Conservatives feeling a lot more secure in a lot of their safe seats because we felt the Lib Dems were the only party that could have challenged them. And we thought that threat was gone but with that threat resurging you would think attitudes would
0: have changed but they don't seem to be doing so. And William have you seen any reaction to Partygate in the in the area or is it really more focused on local issues this by-election?
2: It'll be a mix of both really but Partygate plays into this whole idea that they're sick of the way things are at the moment. Uh, And uh, I think, you know, it's not as easy for the Lib Dems this seat, but uh, we'll look back at North Shropshire as a comparison. Uh, There there was a 23,000 Tory majority there. It became a 6,000 Lib Dem majority and and Tiverton is um, 24,000. So it's around about the same sort of area as North Shropshire. So I think there's a a good chance. There was an internal poll from um, the Lib Dems that had the Lib Dems one point behind, but usually the Lib Dem polling underestimates their own performance. So we saw in um, uh, Chesham that they predicted that the Tories would win by double digits. So if they're only one point behind an internal Mm. poll, then I think that's a a bad sign overall. Yeah, Um, I'd
1: I'd agree on that. I think also that it's more than a 24,000 majority, because that's what we got from the Tories to Labour. So the Lib Dems are facing a 27,000 vote majority against them. Yeah. But the difference is they overturned a similarly large majority in North Shropshire, which was, I think, a 63 or 64% leave seat. So they're in a slightly friendlier seat in a similar situation where again it is on a question of parliamentary ethics. North Shropshire was obviously breaking parliamentary standards with backdoor dealings and all that sort of thing. This time it's misconduct in a public office and both of them are under the wider veil of even the top of the food chain in the Conservative Party is under pressure for rule-breaking and misconduct, so.
2: As we know, Neil Parrish was just researching uh, farmers and and ploughing, you know, he wasn't looking at any (laughs) pornography, no, no, no.
0: What I find interesting is it seems that many of the southern Brexit voting seats seem to have almost moved past Brexit. We never really talk of Brexit as a a big issue in these seats, yet the northern Brexit voting seats tend to be less forgiving, particularly towards Labour. If we look at the local election results, Labour's least success, I believe was in the north of England. Why do you think the North compared to the South is less willing to forgive the the Remain parties. Well, I mean,
2: I think to be honest though, there might've been a little bit of uh, second thoughts on Brexit because of the Northern Irish protocol. I think it's it's seen on shakier ground than people think. It's not uh, entrenched itself, which I think is the government's fault. So a lot of people either put the issue aside because there's more important things like Partygate, et cetera, or they might even think actually, if it was reversed, even partially, they don't really mind anymore. It's, they've moved completely past it.
1: I think it's a wider issue, though, in the North, anyway, because I think in the South, Brexit, it's done its move past that. I think for the North, the, not just the Labour position on Brexit in 2019, but the wider Labour policies and attitudes in 2019 spoke to a wider sense of being taken for granted by Labour, is why maybe northern Brexit seats are less likely to be forgiving Labour than the South is about Brexit, because Brexit was just a piece of the pie for why the Red Wall fell against Labour, which I'm sure we'll come on to when we discuss Wakefield. But I think it is because in the South, now Brexit has moved past, the main issues are very much going to become more local and wider national, in the north i think there's still underlying issues and rebuilding that labour has to do and that is gonna make the fundamental difference because i think labour in tiverton and honiton is going to have a similar result to cheshire ramisham and north shropshire where i think their vote share is going to almost entirely drop off a cliff and I'll,
2: I'll, I yeah, sorry.
1: with a by action what we see is even as as prevalent as tactical voting is in a general election, it is even more so prevalent in a by-election. And I think Mm. what we're going to see is the Labour, Lib Dem and Green vote from 2019 will all be coalesced around the Lib Dems in this election in Tibetan, without a doubt, because most all of that vote will remain and it will be anti tory to begin with. The question is how much of obviously that 60.2% 60.2% the Tories got, but the Lib Dems can actually break into. Obviously, we saw in North Shropshire that a 60% Tory vote share dropped into the mid-30s. So mm. we could well be looking at that again because the cost of living crisis in particular, voters are going to very much be wanting to send a message on that matter.
2: And, and you can you can really, the fear from the Tories is more palpable this time. Uh, like there's been some leaflets uh, that oh, are sort yeah. of orange targeting the Lib Dems so they know now they're sort of trying their best I mean it, it'll be in a bungled CCHQ way where they'll completely fail but um, the, you know they're, they're much more uh, worried this time about the Lib Dems um, but I, I think a lot of uh, conservatives might stay at home there's always that, that uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: thing of, of conservative voters in the home count is when they're annoyed they, they stay at home they're not going to necessarily flip but a lot of them will and it'll be enough of it to probably flip the seat so that's my prediction
1: Absolutely, I'd agree with that. I think it's going to go to the Lib Dems in a similar North Shropshire margin because I think what we saw was Cheshire Manamisham happened and the Tories put it down to it's a remain, see, we are very much a pro-Brexit party. This is a by-election, that's the end of it.
2: And HS2. (laughs) Yeah,
1: HS2. After what happened in North Shropshire, I think that the Conservatives have woken up to the fact, hang on, the Lib Dems can threaten us even in are pro- Brexit seats, the, the Conservative coalition is under threat from a combination of traditional Tory voters who were who liked Major, Hague, Cameron, May because they were respectable, they were honourable, and are very much unhappy with Johnson being the antithesis of that. Combined with who were wanting to go live them because they've had enough, they don't think the Tory party is redeemable. Combined with those who don't like Johnson and will stay at home, is probably going to deliver the Lib Dems another four, high four digit majority, I'd imagine, in Tiverton.
2: I mean, I remember when I was canvassing, you know, in 2019, back when I was a Tory, and um, a lot of the Lib Dems were already annoyed with the Conservatives because of Brexit and Boris specifically, uh, but they voted Tory because they were more worried about Corbyn. Uh, we don't have that anymore, so they're much more likely. So I actually think they've been shifting away from the Conservatives for some time. It's just that they've been slow to pick up on it, you know.
1: And I, and I think now what has also happened is that both the Chesham and North Shropshire results have awoken a new sense of renewal in the Liberal Democrats after 2015. They'd been slowly picking up ground to the point of Joel Swinson, but I think they they're now really finding... That their best way to win is to ignore national politics for the most part
0: and, and to uh, act as hyperlocalists. And uh, could that ever translate into success in a general election or is this just simply success for by elections?
1: I think it absolutely could translate into success in wider elections because we've seen it's already translated from by elections to council elections. We've seen areas like. I've done I did a piece on Stockholm Metropolitan Borough Council, where the Lib Dems took a seat that I didn't think they even had a chance at taking their in Stockport. They took both of the two safest conservative wards in the area. The other conservative hold ward was purely a Labour Lib Dem fight when the result came out. What we're seeing is the Lib Dems are translating this by-election success in a very key area which is more middle class traditional conservative areas that were voted for the conservatives of Major Cameron Hague and do not in any way like the more populist element of Mm. Johnson's conservatives. I see those sorts of voters that are changing like the American voter people we've seen sort of like Meghan McCain who were Conservative, they are right-wing people, but they cannot stand or in any way tolerate the populism that is becoming Mm. the more evident mainstream in conservative politics. And to many of them, I think now the Lib Dems, because they are so malleable on issues, represent a comfortable place to go to.
2: Yeah, there, there are nothing parties like the Joe Biden effect. If just be nothing and you'll be a, an easy uh, protest vote. And I think, I mean, a, there was some national polling that said they were like at 15% or something. I mean, that's mad. Oh, that yeah, is going yeah. back to the levels of the Cleggian times where they could win 60 seats. You know, it's really yeah. going back to that kind of era I've again, seen isn't it?
1: Quite a few um, now casts from based on opinion polls, which you see in the Lib Dems high 20s into the low 30s and actually. In a position to take out some fairly big name conservatives in the next general election. So I think it's definitely something that conservatives should be watching out for.
2: Wave we're, goodbye to Dominic Rabb. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, Dominic Rabb, John Redwood, uh, William Ragg, who's obviously one yeah, of William the R- anti Boris conservatives, you know, was three very well known. High profile Conservative MPs, at least on the chopping block, directly to the Lib Dems. So
0: I think. But uh, d- don't we say this every election? I, I remember in 2019, uh, people were talking about how the-, the Lib Dems would wipe out Tories and remain areas, and what did they get? About, about 11 seats in the end, and the leader they lost They were on
1: the course to. And the only thing that saved the Conservatives, I think, quite a few of these seats was Nigel Farage because once Nigel Farage came and said the 317 seats won by the Conservative Party in 2017 will not be contested by the Brexit mm. Party solidify that Conservative vote massively. The Lib Dems' hope, best hope for taking all of these Conservative seats which was talked about was that that Brexit vote was going to have fragmented and that they could have united the Remain vote. So in seats like Tiverton and Honiton, 58% leave, that meant there was a 42% remain vote. The Lib Dem strategy at one point was solidify that remain vote as much as they could, hope Nigel Farage broke the Conservative Brexit vote in half and let them in. That's when we were looking, the Lib Dems going to get 60, 70, 80, 90 seats. As soon as Farage was out of the picture in the Tory seats, that dream died.
2: Yeah, and there is actually 12 right-wing parties standing in there, two and I believe around about that number. Yeah. There's a lot of places for their vote to go. Well, what
1: we've seen now is even when we far does stand against the Conservatives, or we reclaim under Lawrence Fox, which seem to be the main two that are coming up, they aren't doing any real damage to the Conservatives. You know, they're picking up between them three or four percent in most by-elections. Yeah, they don't have an and issue to drive them anymore, I
2: think. So uh, the reform are are never going to get to those Brexit party heights that we saw. It's probably not going to happen.
1: No, I think the Lib Dems have now got into a position where we had Conservative voters held the nose and went with Boris because they thought he could get Brexit behind them and get Conservative policies through. And what they're seeing now is you've got a Prime Minister who doesn't really command a majority in Parliament because only a third of MPs have confidence in him. We're seeing a Prime Minister who's overseeing, obviously, a cost of living crisis, interest rates at the highest level since 2009, after the Bank of England's announcement, today as day of recording. It is becoming very much a case of people are looking, who maybe would have overnosed voted Johnson, going, I do not, I regret my vote to vote for him in 2019, and these by-elections are giving them an opportunity to almost take that back and change and show their dissatisfaction. So if Tiverton goes as we expect to the Liberal Democrats, I think that a good number of those 211 Conservative MPs who voted confidence in Johnson will very much have to take a look in the mirror and have a think, is he really worth the risk that he is posing now? Because it will be their second safe seat of over 60% of the vote in a Brexit area in a year (laughs) to fall to the Liberal Democrats who were the biggest remain party.
0: But will the the excuse not be that these are simply by-elections? I mean, the Tories have a decent history of bouncing back from by-elections defeat. So they lost Eastleigh in uh, 2013, won it back 2015 general election. They lost Richmond in the by-election in 2017, won it back a few months later. They they, they tend to just take Richmond these back
1: to it. Now Richmond's an interesting example to is there because the Lib- Dems came took it quite in a huge majority in 2016. The Conservatives held it in 20 20- took it back in 2017 by I think it was only a couple hundred votes.
0: Yeah with so, uh, what's his name uh, uh, it was He's now in the Lords. Is
1: that Goldsmith again? Yeah. Is that Goldsmith? Yes, He's of course, Goldsmith yes. Independent in that by-election. But what I think we'll see is even if the Tories do take back these seats in the next general election, which I think they will in North Shropshire, Chesham is much more up in the air, they're not going to take them back in the numbers that they held them at the 2019 election. If they do indeed take them back, they're going to take them back close.
2: Yeah, I mean, they have been in power for 13 years and, and the veil's fallen away. So they're in a bit more of a stickier situation, yeah. probably more of a long-term damage than... Because I know a lot of people think, oh, Boris will bounce back, he always does. But the old Teflon Boris is looking pretty weak at the moment. <laughs> I think all, all the assets that, that were on his side have now become, um, uh, you know, negative in, in terms of the perception. So it, things exactly, have flipped yeah. around, haven't they? You know?
1: Yeah, because I think it was Suella Braverman and Brandon Lewis gave an interview the day of the confidence vote, and both of them said, Boris is an election winner. We saw numerous MPs going and saying, Boris is an election winner. And what we could be seeing is next Friday, looking at Boris Johnson's scorecard, will be one by-election win in Hartlepool, which was the first by-election test he really faced.
2: When he was still quite popular as well, actually.
1: Yeah, the the height of his popularity. And then he will have gone and lost potentially three safe seats and one of the seats that he's supposed to be give, gifting to them.
2: Well, but don't so- underestimate the power of the Conservative Party to completely delude themselves, because, I mean, virus has got this Herculean ego. They will do anything. To they, It's, it's different to Theresa May, because they want him. They want him in there. It's like even if they know uh, he's no good for them, they'll, they'll, they'll try anything to hold on to him. They'll, they'll find any excuse. So um, I think no matter what happens, you'll see... Uh, a sort of desperation to try and hold on to him as much as they can, so that they'll hold on to hold on yeah. to him until the last second, uh, because he's got such a great ego and he'll stay in no matter what. Um, yeah. But eventually, that you know the writing will be on the wall.
0: Yeah, and, uh, going back to the actual by election itself, just before we move on, have there been any significant choices in the candidates? Uh, anything special? What 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 has been? What has the mood been like on the campaign trail? Have you boys looked at any of that? I've had a look at a few
1: things. I know that the Lib Dems have done their usual Lib Dem party train. You know, I've seen people, Lib Dem activists from all over the UK have been travelling to (laughs) go and campaign for the Lib Dems in Tiverton, which is what we'd expect. But also the Lib Dem candidate choice is a former soldier as well, which... Mm it's hard to say but that maybe the ukraine crisis that could have some impact having a former soldier because he's at least someone who can comment on ukraine and not sound completely out of touch or like he's grasping at straws like someone who will have an idea but i don't see ukraine being much of an issue at all in tibetan I mean, but,
2: I know that the Tory candidate, her only tactic so far is to say, I'm local, I'm local. It's the only thing that I've really seen from her. Boris, but the Lib
1: Dem candidate does also seem to be local. <laughs> her main thing seems to be just trying to go off. The Lib Dems are this, the Lib Dems are that. The yeah, it's Dems a negative
2: campaign there. from them, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, what it seems to be the difference is the Tory campaign seems to be solely focused, especially after what happened in the local elections where... CCHQ lost the head of their anti-Lib Dem unit to the Lib Dems. They seem to be in a frantic panic to blame the Lib Dems for this, that and the other and run a negative campaign, whereas the Lib Dems seem to much more be running on farmers are struggling. This is what the Lib Dems want to do to help them. Working families are struggling. This is what the Lib Dems want to do to help them. And they the did Dem- fire
2: back as well with the, you know, when they did the Lib Dem orange leaflet, they, they did a blue leaflet saying, uh, Conservatives, no change going through the election cycle. So yeah. they've sort of um, they, they fired back and tried to copy the Lib Dem, the uh, Tory attack it, line there.
1: It very much seems that the Lib Dem, to sum it all up, the Lib Dem seem to be running much more on a positive campaign of this is what we would do for you. We want to bring change. We want to bring hope. And the Conservatives seem to be flapping about like a fish on a. a on the ground,
2: the deck of the Mary ground. Rose.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, are, they seem to be throwing everything they can at the dams and trying to see what will stick. And no doubt, I think we're going to see them use our last ditch push to try and use the rail strikes in their favour as well, because Devon is going to be absolutely crucified in these rail strikes in terms of its rail service. Right. Yeah. Whether or not they will have enough time to weaponise that, I don't know. It's because it's only going to
0: affect two well, days what, in the campaigning period. What, what's the Lib Dem position on the rail strikes? Uh, well, the Lib Dem position has been it's the
1: government's fault for not doing more to alleviate it, and that the government has deliberately not alleviated it in order to try and hurt the Lib Dem's election chances. By making it harder for <laughs> Lib Dem activists to travel to the constituency, which did come across a little yes. bit diluted by Sarah Rolfe, <laughs> to say that part out loud. But that could have an impact because that essentially means, as anyone will know, in a by election, probably the last mm. 96 hours, those last four days up until the post calls are crucial. And for those four days, the Lib Dems are going to have a manpower issue. So that could have an impact. But I think most voters will have made their minds up at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, nothing if, big is really, really going to change their minds.
1: Changing hearts and minds now. The Tiverton and Hanson by-election now for the Tories is going to be trying to convince disaffected Tories to still turn out and vote Conservative, mm-hmm. which I think is going to be a challenge for them.
0: And, uh, one thing we didn't mention as well was the, the Tory candidate, I, I read, had uh, apparently erased... Uh, or denied that she had a meeting with, with uh, Boris Johnson and it sort of reminds me of when I was campaigning when I used to be a Labour member in 2017, every time I was door knocking, basically the party had the distance itself from Corbyn um, because he was just so hated in a lot of places. I saw
1: that as well in my Red Wall, up here in the Red Wall yeah, same here. it was incredibly prevalent and that Alluding to what I mentioned earlier is yet another piece of that pie as we're going on to wait. Why Labour struggling to rebuild trust? Hmm.
0: Uh, so just to finish off this uh, segment, uh, let's have some predictions. Any any takes?
1: Uh, Lib Dem majority gain majority of around probably five to six thousand as okay. the high end.
2: Yeah, that's what I was saying.
1: If a Tory hold, it will probably be a three-digit or less, Tory hold. Yeah, a few few hundred, yeah. Holding on by a thousand votes almost, to be
0: honest. And uh, just another thing, uh, turnout. What are we reckoning for the turnout?
2: I mean, I still think it'll be roughly around about the 35% mark, maybe a few points below, a few points above if they're lucky.
0: Mm,
1: I think turnout's a double-edged sword. We will get the typical by-election turnout in the low 30s, Or we will see that people are more motivated than usual in a by-election to turn out because of the incredibly unique circumstances the country is in. But I think it will be unlikely that we will see more than fifty percent. We're probably looking more forty to forty five percent like we saw in North Shropshire.
0: Okay, so well, you can get that on the smart kits at three point three under forty five percent. So uh. Okay, let's uh, move on to Wakefield then. So, a bit of context. Uh, so, the seat is vacated for a uh, slightly more disgraceful reason. Was uh, Conservative MP Imram Khan was uh, convicted of uh, sex offences on a minor. Uh, the seat itself was Labour since 1932 until the famous 2019 election and was one of the red wall seats that uh, collapsed. Uh, So the result itself was the Conservatives won around 21,000 votes, uh, 47%, Labour around 18,000, around 40%, and uh, the Brexit party uh, 2.7,000, which is around 6%, just still significant-ish. So about a 3,000 vote majority for the Tories, and this is an even heavier uh, Leave voting seat with uh, 63% on the 72% turnout. And according to the electoral calculus, uh, the constituency is more economically left-wing, nationalist, socially conservative than the national average. So... What are the main issues surrounding this by-election? Well, obviously, I think the elephant in the
1: room is the former Conservative Member of Parliament. The mm. There are, obviously, the videos that the current Conservative candidate is getting frequent questions about. That, and he is handling it, to put it mildly, incredibly poorly. Yes, he made, made a
2: comment about Harold Chipman, didn't he? Which was yeah, interesting. He was,
1: he was basically asked... Are you not worried that this is a lost cause for the Conservatives with the history of the previous MP? He went, no, not at all. I'm disgusted by what happened. The right thing happened. But, you know, Harold Shipman died in Wakefield Prison. He was a he murdered 250 patients. But we all still go to the doctor and we still trust our GPs, don't we?
2: I don't know why he decided to grasp for that one. That was a bit of an odd thing to bring up.
1: The other thing we've seen is it was yesterday, I believe I saw it, but he was asked about Brexit and the Tory candidate said, I voted for Brexit, but I regret it, essentially. He called yeah. Brexit a mistake. I don't know if that's because of the Northern Ireland Protocol, wider issues, but the headline saw was he's basically suggested Brexit was a mistake, which obviously does not bode well in a 63% Leave constituency.
2: And just anecdotally, my, my grandmother is this uh, is a Tory voter who's flipping Labour, and the thing that might be putting her back is this talk uh, from one of Keir Starmer's uh, advisors that they could uh, go back into the single market or the customs union. So any talk of Brexit can switch some people, so they ought to be careful about that, but they've already shot themselves in the foot by saying that. So
1: Absolutely, I think also. What is also significant is when you look back at, the past few elections in Wakefield in 2015, Labour got about 17,500 votes, which is what they got in 2019. But that 18% of the vote that was won by UKIP has transferred two-thirds of that to UKIP in 2015, won 18% in the seat. 12% of that has basically gone to the Conservatives. And the other 6% have gone to the Brexit party. Whereas in 2017 that UKIP vote share had broken 50-50 into Labour and the Conservatives. So what we're looking at, really, is we're looking at at least 18% of the vote that can definitely be considered to be Brexit-motivated in its voting intention. So that will definitely play a huge role in where that 12% the Tories got that was UKIP, that's 6% of the vote the Brexit Party has, Where does that vote go to? I think that's going to be the big question. Mm. And I think with the Tory candidate saying Brexit was a mistake, and Labour's attitude being the current Tory Brexit isn't working, we need to renegotiate and find a Brexit that works, I think looking at the two candidates, Labour's probably actually got the slightly more Brexity policy.
2: And I actually think that Labour doesn't need a high turnout to win these kind of seats. Uh, red no, seats seats. If, if they stay at home and there's no motivator to vote Conservative, then they'll go Labour anyway. They almost automatically do. And I think we've seen the, the, the polling come out. I mean, all of them are switching back. Mm. There was one poll that came out that, from this seat in Wakefield that was, I think, an outlier that said that Labour was still behind by a few points, but um, there's been other yeah. polls that have said the opposite of that. So um, I was a bit polls sceptical. Have
1: shown Labour is reaching into 2017 and more Blair-year figures of mid-40s, and the Conservatives are about 20% behind. Mm.
2: We do have to factor in the fact that the Starmer is still an unknown factor and some people uh, are not motivated to vote for, for, for Labour, but that, but those same people are probably not going to vote Conservative anymore either, so it plays into their hands either way.
1: No, absolutely, because I think the thing is, whilst Starmer is an unknown quantity, Johnson is a very known quantity, And what we are seeing is a lot of these seats that went to him do not like him anymore. We're seeing he's, uh, I think, negative 20% approval in quite a lot of northern areas, excluding the cities. Obviously, Partygate has shot his credibility. I speak to people in my area, which is a 57 I think, percent leave area that narrowly went to Labour. And there are people who said, I like Bob. I think he's done a good job as prime minister, but he's got to go. He can't stay. I wouldn't vote for him. It's been so, it's
2: broken promises as well, isn't it? I feel like yeah. people are, are regretting their decision. Uh,
1: it's broken promises, and it's too slow to act. Like a lot of people were in favour of the windfall tax, um, and that's now been called the temporary excess profit levy.
2: Yes, an oil you know, levy.
1: Yeah, they give it a different name, so it's not doesn't it's not windfall tax because those <laughs> are the words they be used. But you had a swathe of Conservative MPs all went and voted against it in Parliament, and a month later it became government policy. And a lot of people will look and think, "Hang on, Labour were calling this for for this for months. It is a policy I want. Why should I vote for a party that opposes a policy I want and then implements it when it wants my vote?" What's you know, a, I think,
0: what are people making of the levelling up agenda in places like Wakefield? Are they believing yeah, that in it? No. I yeah, think
1: exactly. levelling up will turn against the Conservatives because obviously, Wakefield is in West Yorkshire, which would have benefited heavily from the high-speed to Eastern Leg to Leeds, yeah. which was Axiom integrated rail plan.
2: Yeah, I, I think that that'll be it. I mean, the conservatives shot themselves in the foot from the beginning by mentioning the word leveling up because uh, the economic disparity between the north and the south is so great that it would take decades to reverse. Uh, and and even if they try to, they couldn't do it. And but they're not trying. In fact, they're often doing the opposite. That's why I like to call it leveling down. That, that's the new term that I like to coin. Uh, so, no, I think they'll be looking outside the back door and thinking what's changed? Nothing. So I think they'll switch back or just yeah. stay at home. <laughs>
1: And one thing I think has been incredibly absent from most conversations on this by-election that I think needs to be mentioned is the Yorkshire party. Yes. Because whilst in general elections they're pretty insignificant, there was the West Yorkshire mayoral election mm. where they got about 10% of the vote across West Yorkshire in 2021 and they performed the best in the Wakefield council area. So, which I think uh, it shows we, it's
2: fertile ground at the moment for third parties to make an impact and make a headway. It's the perfect. I think ground.
1: That the Oxford party is going to be in contention to win the seat by any stretch of the imagination, no. but they could well present a strong third alternative that's going to split the vote and is going to hamper the Conservatives even more. Because what we do tend to find in these northerly red wall seats is people tend to go conservative because it's the best chance, it's the most likely party to win. But with their disaffection towards the Conservatives, the parties like the Archer Party, that are incredibly local-focused, become more and more popular. And I think with the cost of living crisis being at the stage where it is, I think that parties and groups that are focused on local areas and local issues are going to be popular because people are, at the end of the day, looking at their paychecks, they're seeing that they're not getting, they're in a lot of people still being paid the same amount of money as they were in 2019. Then they're looking at the inflation rate, which is, since 2019, sitting at around, I think, 10 or 11% inflation on 2019. So people are looking at, I've not got any more money. It is hard Food is becoming more expensive. My money is worth less. There's a government that's not doing enough to help me. Well, why should I go and vote?
2: Yeah, we, we, with recession on the horizon, we return to the old adage of it's the economy, stupid. Yeah. It, it, it's always the thing, isn't it? At the end of the day. The well, uh,
0: th- this made the French election uh, very interesting because uh, before the war uh, in Ukraine and uh uh, Eric Zemmour was climbing up the poles in some polls, he had overtaken Marine Le Pen in second place on around 16% uh, because the whole debate was around the cultural issues the social, the uh, immigration, identity these sorts of things yeah, um... and as soon as the war hit uh, obviously the, the cost of living crisis came right behind it and that just completely changed the debate. Whereas Zemmour has a more sort of, let's say, liberal economic plan. Uh, Marine Le Pen is similar to to Johnson in the way of it's supposed to be a more populist economic program. And Zemmour just just fell in the polls quite quite quickly. So yeah, it, I,
1: would, I would actually say Le Pen is probably even more slightly more left wing and stronger on his oh, economy yes. than. Johnson, I think, what she actually showed is maybe where I think part, uh, there is ground in the sense of you've got, especially in the North, in the Red Wall, you've got a lot of people who are socially conservative, economically more left-wing, and there's nothing really there for them.
2: And SDP. Their natural, SDP.
1: Labored, <laughs> but their natural home had been labour until Corbyn came, and on Brexit, under Johnson, they went conservative. But with the pinch on their pockets now, they are looking for a third option, where they would probably turn to somewhere like the SDP or localist parties like the Arch Party, or they are returning to Labour, because they're looking at Labour now and seeing it is more moderate, it has resolved anti-Semitism, and it is not directly opposing Brexit to the extent that it did.
2: And in the first past the post system, people are going to vote for who's going to win. So yeah. <laughs> that's why that's I
1: think will also come into play. I think in a large part, and that I think we're not go- we're going to see Labour's going to definitely make ground, but it's not going to make very much ground. It will only go up about four or five percent in share, but that is because it's sitting on its historic, its more historic norm in recent years, because. Look, when you look back in the, since the coalition, 2010 Labour won 39% of the vote in Wakefield, 2015 40%, 2019 40% again. Labour's, Labour's coming from a natural position, so it's not yes. going to gain massively, and it's not, obviously not going to reach up to the level Corbyn got, which was 49.7%, because I think Corbyn did actually manage something in terms of turnout, but I think Labour is definitely headed to win the seat.
2: Yeah, and this is why small C, small C conservatives should back uh, some form of PR, throwing it out there, we need to change the voting system in order to change people's voting behaviour. But, as things stand, it'll be uh, main two parties as usual. So. <laughs> uh,
0: and I think uh, also something uh, we, we mentioned, uh, the Yorkshire party, one of the candidate i think we should touch upon i've only written his second name which is annoying but it's akbar and uh, he was a member of the conservative party he quit the party and called johnson an idiot but uh, last year he actually won a safe labor council seat in wakefield Uh, i think he's set to steal a few votes but, uh, from yeah, I, I think sure. it's
2: interesting that. It just shows that it is fertile ground for third parties when Boris is hated, key is an unknown, so people are going to, get to go to those smaller parties, aren't they? Especially if he's got name recognition already.
1: And let's not forget there is also the candidate who's... I'm afraid the name escapes me, but we've mentioned that, just reminding me, the candidate who's basically gone around with leaflets, who's had leaflets made in these campaigns, yeah. essentially. I don't look at kids the way that the last <laughs> <10 pages, which laughs> MP did, both disturbing <laughs> and hilarious. It feels like it could be a loony party, can you? You see this
2: in British politics, don't you? This kind of lunacy. Oh, no, absolutely.
1: Yeah. But I think touching on that ex-conservative you've mentioned, what he could actually do, which is absolutely intimidating, is what we could see is we could see that the anti-Boris Tories maybe don't stay at home so much. And instead, they do come out and vote for this conservative, anti-Boris independent who can win in safe Labour areas. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think he's not on the same level with the same name recognition, obviously. But if we look at Batley and Stenborough, I think that that independent could be like George Galloway was in Batley, taking up a large number of votes that really narrows down the two-party margin where where a much larger margin would be expected. Obviously, polling is known for being incredibly bad at gauging support for third parties and in particular independence, So it's hard to know for sure, but it is entirely possible that he could take third place.
2: Well, that's why I think we've seen some unusual polls out of Wakefield, haven't we, that I can't put any amount of trust in. Some of them are sort of more like mini surveys. They're not very accurate, but they get retweeted up the nines and that's all that matters to these people, I suppose.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, people like uh, British Alba and... uh... Labour Patriot. On, uh, oh yeah,
2: Twitter. anything to show that actually, oh no, they're, they're flipping back. Look, look, they love him, they love Boris. <laughs> now, I've, I've argued with that British alba fella so many times. Honestly.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, let's have some predictions, unless someone has a final word to put in. Well, I'm actually
2: struggling with, the, with whether Labour's victory would be, would they get 50% or would actually it be in the 40s? I, I can't quite gauge no. that.
1: The last time that Labour hit 50% in Wakefield... I do believe with 1997... Yeah,
2: it's, it's, they're Colby not in that County territory.
1: Then, they have not hit 50% since Black. <laughs> Corbyn got 49.7%.
2: So we're talking well, about a 41, 43, something like around right about there. Uh, isn't it, they're
1: right? probably looking... I'm I'm saying Labour, 44, 45%. The Conservatives, 30%, maybe a bit above... Maybe Obama.
2: 29, 28, that's what I was thinking.
1: Yeah. And then I'm thinking, honestly, reform. Possibly even on three or four, but we could see the Yorkshire Party hit maybe eight or nine percent. Wow! Which I think, because Wakefield, like mentioned earlier, is a seventy-two-year Labour seat. It's only been in Conservative hands for two and a half years. I think the the bigger story could be if the Yorkshire Party does have an incredibly strong third-party performance, rather than Labour winning the seat because I think that represents something much more significant because Labour Mm. winning back seat than it's held since before the second world, well, almost entirely, that's not really news. But safe Labour seat, sort of safe Labour seat that became marginal, has third party win 10% of the vote, that I think will be a lot more significant potentially. Heading into the next general election, where turnout will be higher, and the risk of a spoiler could be much greater.
0: And I think uh, this leads on to my little statistic, which I found very interesting, was that uh, in the local elections, uh, out of the, was it 500-odd Tory seats were lost? Uh, I, I believe only 17% of those were won by Labour, and 83% were won by another party on independence. So... A lot of the seats that the Tories are losing aren't necessarily swinging back towards Labour.
1: And I think the reason for that, though, is if we look at the local elections we've had, is 2012, council seats, unless there's an all out election, it's so work on a four year rotation. So we're looking at seats that were last elected in 2018, which was before the Conservatives had really made these massive inroads, because they all hit in 2019. We were looking in 2018, Corbyn was still fairly popular. Labour was actually doing quite well. And obviously, Mrs. May was really starting to struggle. So I think that's why Labour only gained mm. though that, you know, about 20% of the seats that the Tories lost is because Labour had an incredibly large amount of defenses. I think yeah. we're gonna then start to show our Labour making inroads into the tallest, the only place we'll be able to see before the next general election will be the 2023 local elections which are going to be the ones that were fought in 2019, which is also a total bloodbath both for Labour and the Conservatives in different areas.
2: Yeah, and I also but, think they've, they've improved their position a bit from the local elections definitely. Uh, the, the cost of living the yeah. economy stuff has improved their position. They're sort of polling in the 40s now, but which what, is uh, you, in the 300 I'm seat territory. You?
1: Yeah, my stance on it is every day that goes by at this point where we see a headline of someone has had to go without food in order, you know, go without heat or something, or go without one, a parent's had to go without food to feed the kids, or we see Bank of England raise interest rates again. I think this is the third successive time we've made an interest rate state that they have raised it. Every day that goes on in this cost of living crisis. The Labour Labour's position is going to strengthen. The Conservatives' position is going to falter. Yeah, because and I actually think that this will that take a few
2: on, years as well to recover from. It's very yeah, much a long term. Every
1: day that goes on is going to be another day that people will blame the government, and they are going to blame the Conservative government because what we've also seen is the Tories' tactic, especially on housing and other things, is trying to blame Labour. But that would have worked. That would work maybe. If Jeremy Corbyn, say, had been Prime Minister from 2017 to 2019, but when the Tories have been in government for 12 consecutive years, you know, we're looking potentially over 14 and a half consecutive years of government by the next general election, which doesn't have to be held until January 2025, trying to blame the opposition, a the party that haven't been in government for well over a decade doesn't wash with voters. And I think we're going to start seeing that more and more.
2: Well, I, I think Boris Brandt, uh, after the 13 years of Tory rule, I think he remade it and branded them as a new government. Uh, but that, that yeah. has sort of fallen away a bit, as I say, the bales fallen. It.
1: That was working. That was working in 2019 and 2021. When it was
2: all promises and bluster, but now. Uh,
1: yeah. and... Once Partygate has hit and it has, it has become a free fall, and that has stopped washing with people because what people are seeing, because Johnson tried to say, You know, I'm different, I'm this, I'm that. And I think maybe not us, because we're all young people, but maybe our parents and our grandparents are looking, and they're not seeing some new Conservative Party. They're just seeing the Conservative Party of John Major all over again. Sleaze Hmm. scandals, corruption.
2: Division as well.
1: A party at war with itself. And I think that is what's going to change things, because a lot of voters aren't seeing a new Conservative Party. They're seeing a Conservative Party like one in the 90s that they turfed out in a landslide.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of uh, Conservative survival, uh, let's have a chat about uh, Johnson's future. So, before diving in, I'm going to go for another nice little quote Ah. uh, taken from... uh, Uh, the British House of Cards, which is uh, is, is brilliant. Uh, His deepest need was that people should like him, an admirable trait that, in a Spaniel or a whore, not, I think, in a Prime Minister. And we've done him a favour too, if he did but know it. He was in the trap and screaming from the moment he took office. Simply put the poor bastard out of his agony. After life's fitful fever, he sleeps well. So let's not involve ourselves in any squeamishness, all right? Because this is just the start. So that was uh, actually recorded just a few days after uh, Thatcher was, was forced out, uh, very coincidentally. So what are the chances of uh, Boris Johnson facing the same fate as Thatcher, Theresa May uh, and other great prime ministers? well
2: i think quite high because i think the problem begins and ends with him really like some other promises they have their scandals eventually after a few years they start to falter but he's almost like a, a scandal generator every single other week there's something going on and it's, it's all the it's like i mean our listeners won't like rory stewart i imagine but he talks quite a lot about boris because he worked with him in government and he says it's, it's all the little things that add up he'll lie about this lie lie about that day after day there'll be something else and there'll always be someone else who gets sacrificed on the altar of his ego so um i don't think there's any Chances he survive, especially after the by-election we've talked about, where I think he'll lose both of them, and that's both their red wall voters going away and their home county voters. So that's both of their bases that they we're relying upon falling uh, from beneath them. So um no, I think the the, the chances are quite low. But uh, the, the the one thing that the rebels don't have on their side is a unifying figure. They don't know who the heck's going to lead the party. They've got no idea. Mm. Uh, Jeremy Hunt came up. Uh, the members don't really like him. Um, there's Liz, who I think has too much baggage Uh, because she's been defending Boris this whole time. So, um, you know, uh, yes, there'll probably be a rebellion, but how successful it is, we'll see. But he's definitely going to face another vote. I think they'll change the rules in the committee. Uh, They won't want to trigger an election, though. I don't think that'll happen.
1: No, obviously, I think the thing is, one thing we know about Johnson is he will not go. Yeah, he'll cling on. He's put before you are pushed. That is what May did, because she knew she was about to be pushed for good for a second time. Johnson will not do that. The only way that Boris, there are two only two ways that Boris Johnson goes. A second party confidence vote where more MPs turn against him as the situation gets worse, and he is removed by the MPs at some point mid-2023, maybe late 2023 into 2024, or the British public removes him in a general election those are the only two ways i can see him going
0: what about uh haven't the lib dems tabled a vote of no confidence yeah that actually you know what what? (laughs) that
2: irritated me that did because ed davy used it to say oh look they're they're backing him they're backing him it's like well they don't want to go into an election without a leader or with boris in charge so obviously they're not going to vote for an election now they're going to try and entrench themselves with another leader then go for an election in 2024 so i think it it's more likely it'll be the former. It'll be a uh, confidence vote where the committee will change the rules to have another one. Because of course, there's, there's currently a year in which he can't face yeah. one. But I know that they'll they'll, they'll, they'll change the rules to suit them as they usually do. So. Well,
1: What's yeah. I feel the other almost perilous thing for Johnson is that a lot of his cabinet, people like Reese Mogg is a perfect example. People were all the rebels against Meg. When May won, I think she won. <laughs> what was it, sixty-three percent? Yeah,
0: sixty-three thirty-seven.
1: You had Reese Morgan and others go out on the airwaves and say she has lost the support of the majority backbenchers. She needs to go. Johnson has lost by a larger margin. He is on more shaky ground than May. The difference is he doesn't quite seem willing to recognise that. The same.
2: So no, there isn't a I mean Brexit unified the rebels this time. They largely back the legislative agenda. I mean, if we had a new yeah. leader, they'd say, the well, we're gonna pass the same bills.
1: In the mayor, I think that the rebels were start, were united behind Johnson. Yeah. The issue is here, we've got mm-hmm. a collection mm-hmm. of different categories of rebels. We've got who were against Johnson, we've got ones who were in incredibly marginal seats where he's turning toxic, mm-hmm. where they're basically wanting to try and able to say to voters, look, I agree with you on the issues and look, I do not agree with him. Save their own own hides. Going off of a personal vote, you've got home county ones who were fearful of the Lib Dems, people like Jeremy Hunt, people like, I can't remember the name, but the MP for Guildford as well. You've got people in both sorts of seats. And then the third category you've got is those with grievances and I think those will be ones that people like more so Andrea Ladsom who were Boris backers. he kicked them out of the cabinet and look what's going to happen, people like Ladsom Cox and I think that is the entire reason why he will be able to cling on for at
2: least a uh, and ledson was a really bad side for him because uh that w- she was someone who used to really back him quite thoroughly so i think that was oh, quite no, a bad absolutely. side. it a just shows that the well. different wings are coming in it's like it's not just one wing mm. it's not about lever or remain it's that there's more of a across yeah. the party thing people- i mean there is a mini side a tiny weeny part of the party like elwood who are using it probably to bring up brexit as an issue again but i don't think it's enough to unify people although it does annoy me that he says that because they're shooting themselves in the foot in terms of mounting a rebellion if he's going to go out and say oh we should rejoin the single market Mm -hmm. which is something that just doesn't go down doesn't wash but nonetheless
1: absolutely but i think it's like he's lost people who were backing him when he was before he was even mayor of london when he was just candidate for mayor of london they were defending him against issues he'd had then he's started to alienate himself. And let's remember, he got, what was it, 211 votes? And 170-odd Conservative MPs are on the government payroll. You know, yeah. he's he's largely been survived by the fact that he is the reason a lot of these MPs have government jobs. So I think yeah. the issue is he will not realise when it is time to go unless, I think, people like Rab actually realise the writing's on the wall, like Thatcher. The only way that he will maybe resign is like Thatcher if the Cabinet all go to him and basically start a whisper campaign against each other and say, you know, of course, I back you, Prime Minister, but the, <laughs> I'm hearing moments the rest of the Cabinet Help. do not.
2: You know well, <laughs> We know that the Conservatives will, some of them, even if they're in government, will be talking to people and trying to organize things for a leadership campaign under the table. They've, they did that before. and I think they'll do it again. There'll be so, I mean, I think there'll be some people in government who would have voted against him in the confidence vote, but it's a free vote, right? So who's going to know? So um, uh, there'll be a lot of people moving against him. But I think people like Rab actually are too down, far down the rabbit hole now. Unless there's an election happening, they'll stand with him. Because they've they've they, they've gone too far down the rabbit hole. They they've defended him from the beginning. So how can they really go back on it now?
0: I think they've exactly. lost their. I think they've lost their best uh, backup as well. I think uh, Rishi Sunak for years has been prepared, groomed mm. as the next Tory leader. And William uh, Hague
1: stone seat. They
0: they've lost they've lost him now. So who? Yeah. Are they actually going to replace him with? His... I, I mean, it'll be a massive roster of different people, won't well, it? There'll be so it's many. It's
1: that and also mentioning the leadership campaign because I saw an article somewhere, and I think it's very much true, that number 10 itself is ready for a leadership contest. Apparently, number 10 was preparing for a potential leadership contest, and apparently, number 10 was prepared to backless trust.
2: They were very panicked, weren't they, yeah?
1: Yeah, there was a moment because obviously if we remember, by 12 p.m., Mrs. May had had public declarations of support from 50% of the Conservative MPs. So the vote of no confidence was announced at like eight or nine a.m. Within by lunchtime, she had already won the vote. Yeah, Johnson, I think only got maybe 45 maximum had publicly declared they were going to vote. Mm. For by the time that the vote. Me- me- were going to go and vote. I think that what that has also shown is, whilst he still has the support of these 211, it is a lot shakier than the support that Mrs May had from her MPs and her and those who were willing to back her.
2: They're just waiting for that flashbang moment, which might approach
0: yeah. us at the end of the month. I well, think, I, that I is think very much the case. I think uh, something we've got to point out as well is uh, List Trust been quite eager to scrap the Northern Island protocol. For me, it seems she's sort of trying to blarney the, the ERG a bit and trying to secure mm. some sort of path to the final two if a, a leadership contest were would mm-hmm. to be announced, in my opinion. I mean, I well, think I, she she's a strong yeah.
2: contender. I mean, it's a, it's a mistake for a few reasons because when she gets up to the public, people will say, "Well, you back Boris for all of it," so she'll okay. have that massive uh, baggage and uh, damage from him. And also, I saw her speech during the protocol, and she's not very good of an orator. She's actually quite droll. I thought she's well, got no passion at, compared to Boris. So I think yeah. that actually well, she's going to go the down. Wrong for,
1: fair share of mini gaps. So we've got yeah, pork uh, markets, which is hers. But then we've also got the incident just the other day where she called T-Shock Michal Martin T-Sock.
2: Yes, I don't think she'll go down well. She'll make a lot of blunders.
1: (laughs) On the topic of potentially who would replace him, I've actually got three names for who are the most likely to replace him, which is Liz Truss, because she seems to be the heir apparent now if she is firmly in the mud. Yeah. Michael Gove, but I've put a question. Gove will always do it. Whenever Gove, there's
2: leadership, Gove will be there. Gove
1: has actually said he's no longer interested in the leadership, but I think he's someone, because I think the thing for him is, that if it's clear, like it is for people now, that gover- staying in government at the next election is very much out of the question, he might look up and say, this is my only chance. And I think yeah. his penchant for effectiveness and he's always wanted he to lead
2: from the beginning.
1: We'll endear him to men, as if he does run. And I think there is a semi dark horse who's not being talked about. they only a dark horse in the sense of people keep not mentioning their name, but they're not a dark horse in the sense of when you hear their name, you're like, they've got a chance. And that is Ben Wallace.
0: Because yes, with absolutely. what's been
1: going on in Ukraine, he has re- he's kept his nose down out of domestic issues and he has been focused entirely. On the defence of Ukraine, working with Ukraine, and frequently going to Ukraine,
2: he's gone down well on television. People see him as quite,
1: yeah. you know, con- down to Give him like an eight, <laughs> consistent like eighty nine percent approval amongst Conservative members,
2: and a, and a, as I think wider public as well is up there with the most popular yeah. ministers. he's,
1: <laughs> he, he's got because he's got one other thing that sort of helps him is I'm not sure where he was originally born, but he is a Northern MP as well. So mm. that could help him. The issue the party have is all of can't, none of that, they've not really got anyone who truly represents the new blood that has been pumped into the party over the past few years. That yeah. has a shot
2: at. Uh, I mean, it <laughs> can't be the old guard, can it? It really can't. People like go... The old
1: guard have a better shot, though, because what.
2: With the membership, yes.
1: Mm. the leadership, absolutely, because. We've, who have we really got that is in the 2017 or 2019 intakes? Who have we got that's in this new, more, even more fiscally moderate, pro-Brexit wing of the Conservatives? Who is really a strong leadership candidate? Because trust doesn't well, count. The former Lib them Republican.
0: So someone I'd, I'd quite like to see go far is uh, Kerry Badenoch, but uh, I think. Yeah, it's well, I mean, I, I
2: said from the start they should they should have made her Minister for Education, but uh, as usual, they're too scared to do things like that. It's uh, <laughs> too controversial.
1: I think, I think the other issue is when you are a party that's been in government now for 12 years, you're expected in a leadership election for all of your leadership candidates to have government experience.
2: Yes, you are, yeah.
1: That is the other issue for the party. They need. They really need someone who's got high level government experience i mean there's there's people have got
2: some like like penny but she's only been in international development and trade and not as a main minister so defense yeah it's mainly her it's mainly her navy stuff that i think will go down well Well, he's worked for george bush's campaign before penny has that's an interesting fact for you
1: because with obviously the cost of living crisis you would you'd want someone stronger on the economy there's no one left in the Tories who's been Chancellor and could win because Sajid, I think he's a bit too shaky to win a leadership election because he was out of the fold for too long. And honestly, Rishi is dead. So it would come down to someone with foreign policy or defence policy experience, which leaves four options of Liz Truss, Ben Wallace, Jeremy Hunt, Penny Morden. Jeremy Hunt... Yeah, and remember, Elwood or
2: Tugan Hart will also throw a hat in the ring.
1: Yeah, they'll throw a the hat in, but they won't be a serious contender. So, no, they'll go down like a Penny, lead balloon. Penny wasn't at defence for very long.
2: She's, she's unifying. Long. I think that, that both the Remainers yeah. and the CRMPs could get behind her, but I think Liz is the big contender, isn't but she? If the
1: party wants to try virtue signaling and go for another female leader, they're going to go for Liz, no doubt.
2: Yeah. It's a mistake, um, but yes, <laughs> that'll probably happen. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it's really going to be most like a contest between Liz Trust and Ben Wallace, which sounds very strange to say because if we think back 12 months, uh, everyone was thinking there will not be a contest to replace Boris. It will be Rishi. No, it's no, but's end of. Well,
2: like I actually that, think, I mean, you say about Ben Wallace, I would caution and say that Ben Wallace might not have uh, a leadership ambitions. He's, he's He could be the type of guy to start, a step back from it, really.
1: Exactly, no, but he's, he's someone that, He's he's 50 if he'd run, but if he were to run, he would be a strong candidate. People will encourage
2: him to do so. That the people around oh, no, him will absolutely. say, "Go for it!" You know, they will push him.
1: I think he will definitely have. I think he will probably be the choice of the Northern Tory MPs. Possibly, yeah. I think, I think they especially do not have anyone to go for because we even saw Deanna Davison publicly came out and said, "I voted." to remove Boris Johnson as
2: leader, which I think oh, yeah. shocked all three of us. It did. I mean, I mean, of course, these things, there's always some unpredictable person that pops up and things go completely differently to what you expected. So we'll have to caveat all of what we're well, saying we, here.
0: You know. I, don't, I think we shouldn't forget uh, David Cameron versus David Davis. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean like I mean, we're talking about, it has to be someone with governmental experience and not yeah. no, sort of newbie. I mean, Davis think, was a shoe in at the start, wasn't he? I mean, yeah, really. And-
1: so one can person we have a who I do think might have leadership ambitions, but I f- and probably would stand to quite a lot of members quite like, but has basically ruined his brand in the past few months. His grant chaps. because he is yes, there's no denying he is an effective communicator. You know, he does his TikToks. He's been using Michael Portillo fairly effectively. Oh yes, yeah, the stuff. But if we look at the transport policy decisions that have been taken in the past year we had the integrated rail plan scaled back a number of commitments in the north of england such as lack of action on PO. House don't rail. forget
2: about his PO and that he did nothing yeah, about the, that like company.
1: powerhouse rail and high speed to eastern leg yeah then we had the p ferry disaster then during the backdrop of the no confidence vote the government quietly dropped the high speed two link from Manchester through to Wigan to connect high speed two. Hs two is going to be
2: one spotting. bit of track, by the time they're done with it, isn't it? They just cancelled yeah, so every single leg of it.
1: They chopped Lee, the Leeds leg off of high speed two. There is the no most essential leg for <laughs> high speed two to get anywhere north of Manchester into places like Preston and Lancaster, Carlisle, Glasgow, or Edinburgh. And now we are obviously looking at the big rail strikes in 30 years with a transport secretary who hasn't sat down to talk with the trade yeah, union He hasn't met
2: with them yeah
1: the trade union leadership have said pretty much any have said basically everything short of we will stop the strikes if you sit down with us they've been trying to sit down with him and instead he has basically been, decided to try and wage during a cost of living crisis a PR war with a trade union whom has the majority of its members under currently a three-year pay freeze,
2: and I think he's done that for for purely PR reasons. I mean, Jake, you'll probably disagree with me, but I actually think because of the media narrative, the majority of the public don't support strike action because they, they don't like the disruption. And he seized on that because he feels like he's got the public on his side but if he just stonewalls them.
1: I disagree because I think depending how the strikes are framed, depends how the public views it.
2: Well, and yeah, they've I been framed the in a negative light. Strike, is my point.
1: But the public also massively opposes bringing in any sort of union-busting legislation to stop these workers having the right to go on strike. When you face questions such as, would you be willing to go on strike from your job if you were during these crises, if you were under a pay freeze?" most people seem to be saying yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. i mean it, the parallel hasn't been drawn with PO, but it's it's the same kind of situation it's it's the part of the gig economy the temporary work um no stability it's that kind of thing and uh, it hasn't well, been framed that way though that's my point no, 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 because,
0: people people have just been seeing that oh, they already earn what is it over 50k and they don't, yeah they don't need yeah. any more money I'm that's most people really are glad you've
1: brought this up because the government is deliberately using misleading statistics on this because Whilst it is true that the average rail worker does earn fifty thousand pounds a year, that is because train drivers are included in that. When you remove train drivers from that calculation, who are in large part not going on strike, you're looking at more a mid twenties to thirty thousand average wage, which isn't anywhere near as much, and is obviously can be a fair bit harder to potentially support a family on. Depending on the wider circumstances, and, the, and the wider they're the ones around. that have
2: got the least job stability as well. So they could be no, made redundant. What
1: we're also seeing the strikes. Far isn't just the pay rises. What we're also seeing is the government is trying to get Network Rail to cut tens and tens of millions from its budget, which is putting track maintenance workers, signals, and other key infrastructure workers' jobs at risk.
2: And Got him on his soapbox now, Julian. He's really going, in, he's going that, in on this. No, but that is
1: another reason behind the strike, which is they are saying eliminating our jobs is a potential risk to passenger safety, and we are not going to, and we are going to go on strike to fight against any attempted compulsory redundancy, which isn't an, an unreasonable thing to do. So it's it's going to come down to framing. And I think Shaps is actually trying to frame himself for the leadership bid as tough on trade unions because I don't mm. think this trade union yeah. will go anytime soon. And his calculation probably is, by being tough on the trade unions, he can try and evoke Thatcher to an extent that will potentially garner him support amongst the membership, which it probably will. But that could then be an issue for him if he were, mm. say, to become party leader. Because then you're going to be potentially say, say Boris is forced to go mid 2023 and Shatsworth to become leader, you're then even deeper into a cost of living crisis. Then, with a prime minister who will be best known for cutting investment in areas that need infrastructure investment and for telling people who've been on multi year pay freezes, no, you can't have a pay rise to match inflation.
2: You can't yeah, and, can't and those things will be again. He's—he's he's adding baggage that will damage him later yeah. down the line. So he may be the great communicator now when he goes on the news, but these things do fall away pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, and change it, a change in what we have also seen is the slightest change in your position in government can make you go from incredibly popular to incredibly vilified. Yeah, Obama's Sunak government. is
2: just the the case study in this, isn't he? Really?
1: Yeah. Well, so I was going to say Theresa May proved quite popular as a the whole. And Theresa, yeah, yeah, she mm, became mm. prime minister. And her popularity just began instantly plummeting because of the additional spotlight and pressure.
2: Although I never forgot about the twenty thousand police officers that that she cut when she was Home Secretary, but you know, <laughs> either yeah. the, the
1: twenty one thousand that she cut that the government has now pledged to bring yeah. Back, back, back. Yeah, it's bringing back.
2: Yeah, what 1, they caught, Yeah, police
1: officers fewer than we were when the coalition entered the government.
2: Yeah, tough on crime, everybody. <laughs>
1: yeah, but and... one last thing on the coalition. I'll bring up is. One thing that did also help push May was the grandees. Obviously, you know, the gr- the long-term em- members, the former leaders. The former this is what they
2: do. They get all the, those kind of people on side. They'll be doing it right now. They'll be talking to people that, in preparation. Yeah,
1: but when you just look at the for- living former Conservative leaders going through the list, you've got John Major, basically I'm pretty sure has called on Boris to resign on more than one occasion. You've got Ian Duncan Smith, who has stayed quiet, but I'd imagine probably did vote no confidence. Michael Howard, who's no longer an MP, but stayed silent on the matter. Lord Haig, who said if he were in Johnson's position, he would have resigned. Cameron, who has stayed quiet. And Mrs May, who we know, who everyone can guess her position. So when you look through the six living former party leaders, You've got half of them known publicly to oppose Boris's leadership and the rest are completely unknown and the f- for a Conservative Party leader to not have the support of any of their predecessors I think is more damaging than people are realising especially come an election. Come a general election that could be incredibly damaging mm. because what the Conservatives might need to do to win back the disaffected southern voters is traits out all these former leaders that voters were very happy to have voted for and get them to say keep the faith vote blue
2: well exactly i mean i mean, I mean at the end of the day if he'd gone honorably a few months ago uh, he wouldn't have this problem he'd probably still be seen quite fondly uh, the public of no, like well he had his absolutely. he had his uses but he stood by uh, but because he's clinging on, he's destroying his own legacy, which is the one thing that Boris cares about the most—is his legacy—and he's it's in tatters now. So
1: Yeah, but thirty—it only took thirty like, years, though. Yeah, but I think if you're the Conservative Party going into the next section trying to keep these southern, more middle-class voters, and you're not able to trace out any former Tory leader to support you, quite honestly, you're in the shit there at that point. Because
2: curse yes, words on this podcast no are nobody. controversial.
1: Yeah, there's no one that they were voted for, been happy to hold for in the past that was a Tory, but it's telling them it is still the Tory party I led. And you voted for... And now it's so, the
2: Boris party. What do we, exactly, do, we do now?
0: Exactly. I
1: think that could be, help bring Boris down eventually, especially amongst home county MPs. Uh,
0: just to jump in, there is one thing that was came up yesterday which some people argue that uh, could help uh, Johnson is the Rwanda flight being cancelled because the the optics and sequencing of Rwanda, pretty textbook Johnson, like he sort of acts as the, the guy railing against bureaucrats to try and deliver a policy that's very popular um, amongst the, the realigned Conservatives voters, so do you think if you were to let's say, pull out of the ECHR, for example, could that same worm his way back?
2: Uh... I, I think yeah. no. And I I, I, well, I would say no, because they're not going to withdraw from the ECHR. I think <laughs> if they were going to do it, they would have announced it already. I saw Battelle's statement afterwards. He said, well, you know, this is just this flight. We'll get them on the next one. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, they, ha- they haven't done a judicial review of the entire policy yet. So they're sort of kicking the can down the road, as they usually do. Uh, but there'll probably be some kind of Bill of Rights or something. But I don't think the policy is really that popular. It might not be because people want these refugees. It's probably just because they see it as an unworkable policy, because it's just they, 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 they're coming across as incompetent because the policy they're trying to uh, pursue is falling apart. So people will just look at that and go, well, they're useless. So I don't think that it'll galvanize anybody. At the end of the day, our own domestic courts back the policy. Um, but I don't see them withdrawing from the convention. I don't see it happening.
1: I would go further. I wouldn't say that it is some sort of antidote to his issues. I think that it would be like if you were, it would be like taking yet another poison because his opinion has already been done where I think across the public it was 46% to 24% off something in favour of remaining in the European Court of Human Rights to against it. So it's clear the majority of the public is in favour of remaining in the European... Well, it's the the,
2: the human rights is a buzz term to people. When they hear that, they, they have nothing but positive connotations with it. And if, if, it, no, if that's under threat, then...
1: The only the only people that trying to push forward further with Rwanda is going to help him with is with those who already back him. Mm. I don't see it giving him... Rebuilding any bridges for him with Tory middle class suburbia or more rural voters who are looking towards the Lib Dems, if they're already looking towards the Lib Dems, I don't think saying oh, we're going to deport a load of people to Rwanda is going to help with that. And it's also not going to help with working class voters who are bothered about the money in their pockets because it's all that they will look at it as the government is spending all this money arranging flights And paying for fuel and planes and all this to deport illegal immigrants only for the policy to be being struck down and them to then find all of the migrants they put on this plane have actually been ordered off the flight for varying reasons. It's a a very odd use of... uh...
2: It's an odd use of money, isn't it? Because they could just have onshore processing facilities and build more of them and process them here. They don't necessarily need to send them abroad. If you're going to send like a handful of people abroad, it's not going to be a deterrent at all. I think they'll look at this and go, we're
0: going to keep coming. Also, the fact that there are what thousands coming in each year and on the plane you've got about 50 people being shipped off, so you yeah, and yeah, there was there was over there was a few hundred today. So even so, yeah.
1: What we can see you in order for it to work, you would potentially need to be doing three or four flights per day. And I think <laughs> in the cost of living crisis where fuel prices are going up, a lot of people will look at it and go, "That's money that could be spent elsewhere."
2: More yeah, and they, and they will keep handing out the injunctions so they're blue in the face. So there's no way you're going to get it. Yeah, off,
1: no, absolutely. Think. The only way that, and I think also. Whilst you said the domestic courts haven't ruled against the policy, whilst that is true, it has not fully been settled in the domestic courts because it has only reached a court of appeal.
2: No, but I do think that based on previous rulings, of like the Shamima, Begum and stuff, like, I think they'll, they'll probably back the policy. Um... Well, the Supreme
1: Court is obviously hard to read and predict. There's, it's a 50-50 chance if it goes to the Supreme Court because what I think could hurt the policy, because at the minute the domestic action is only... Be- has only been on stopping certain flights. It's not actually they've not actually fully challenged. The yeah,
2: and that's the government line at the moment, even with the ECHR. But at the end of the day, it doesn't help them whether domestic courts back them or not, because as long as the European Court blocks it, then it's yeah. going to be unworkable but also, anyway. So
1: when it does go through the domestic courts on the case of the legality, the issue is when you look like with the Shimee Begum case, you had a lot of former Home Secretaries and other people saying. The Home Office can do this. There is nothing against the Home Office doing this. Whereas with the Rwanda policy, we have actually seen Theresa May has pulled it come out and said she believes it is illegal.
2: Well, it, if it survives, is- it's on the basis of a public interest. And is there a public interest? It's less. It's more shaky here, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. Also, that there is no. I think
1: the only the only way to ensure that this policy is actually legal uncertainty is to actually pass an Act of Parliament explicitly giving the Home Office these powers. Because at the minute, there's nothing there, but there is also, there is obviously, what is going to come into play is, because the government hasn't passed anything saying, oh, they can do this, well, we've got, say, X, Y, and Z international agreement and obligation saying, well, technically, you can't do this that's where it's going to come down to ultimately. And I think Rwanda is going to, and the Rwanda policy is just going to very quickly become a buzz term for trying to keep Conservative MPs on side.
0: And I think as well, uh, the Tories are the typical party of, oh, this is a bad look. And uh, with Russia and Belarus being the only two other countries to have withdrawn... Uh, the I think most Tory MPs will probably be thinking, "Oh, this will be too much of a bad look for us to do." Oh yes, yeah, so they'll so... get a
2: hammering from the twenty-four-seven broadcast media. Well, you can Sky, Channel Four—they'll never let go of this. I it.
1: said earlier that only one-third of Parliament actually has confidence in the Prime Minister. So, if there was an attempt to tr- this is the thing, even though people are saying, "Overpath," oh, Conservatives have an eighty-seat majority to do this. They have an eighty-seat majority to do that. They actually don't. They are for, in, for all intents and purposes, for any issue that is not fundamental standard conservative policy. This is a minority government.
2: You know that's why so I think the bill of rights thing hasn't happened. Now
1: it is a minority government. That's why I'm unsure <laughs> on if even a bill of rights can pass because all it takes is for some enough of those 148 MPs to get jittery. And it will go regardless of what whip that the party puts on it, even if they make it a three-line whip.
2: the devil is in the detail, though. It depends what they put in it. It depends if... It
1: will come down entirely to the wording and the presentation of it, but... Also, a parliamentary question for
2: you, Jake, on on this... this. Can I ask, can they do it so the bill requires a a larger majority to repeal? Can they make it a higher act of
1: parliament? Uh, I'm honestly not sure, because...
2: Bit of a research I, question there for us.
1: <laughs> I don't think that there is any constitutional framework for that. I suppose... Part- well, parliamentary parliament, sovereignty,
2: right? Just do what you want. On
1: the, one hand, because parliament, on the one hand, parliament is sovereign and it could say, you know, because parliament is sovereign, it could pass a bill saying that, but then it could pass a supplementary bill by a simple majority to overrule that.
2: Yeah, and you can't bind future parliaments either. No, uh, that's another constitutional that's rule. That's what
1: we saw with the fixed no. parliament. Whilst that said, to call a general election, you need two thirds of parliament to back it. Under the yeah, they just they've
2: passed it anyway, didn't they? You pass
1: a standard bill calling for an election.
2: God, our legislature is so powerful, so isn't it? Can can navigate
1: it. Me. So on Look the one it. hand, they could put something in a bill they pass on the Rwanda policy or anything. Same it'll take 60% or 66% to repeal, but they could also just pass a separate bill that overrides it entirely and then just say to the court, and then take it to the courts, and the courts will say, the newer law supersedes the older law, and that older law is essentially therefore repealed through the back door.
0: Okay, well uh, on that note, we'll just finish off with one final question, which is can Labour get back into power, and uh, what is their route back into power? Um,
1: Yes they can, they have two routes one route is minority with Lib Dem confidence and supply, which will be a difficult one to negotiate but I think they could get by saying to the Lib Dems it's either you vote confidence on us or the Tories are going to stay in it's or a,
0: a referendum on PR, surely, will be on. Oh, yes, perhaps. A lot
1: of Lib Dems seem to be of the attitude now that the time for a referendum is past, they would oh, okay. demand direct implementation, Oof. not a referendum, because we saw with the 2011 referendum that you then just see that all sorts of underhanded dirty tactics are used And I think the second path Labour could get into power is Scotland. Because whilst the SNP is dominant, what we have seen is the SNP has become dominant on anti toryism Basically saying SNP MPs will stop Boris Johnson doing this. SNP MPs will stop the Tories doing that. The Tories have done this wrong. The Tories have done that wrong. But if Labour is looking like has a genuine credible mm,
0: chance of getting
1: mm. government what is to stop the ex-labor voters who vote SNP as an anti-tory vote from going
2: well, yeah hang on a and they have been recovering in scotland in terms yeah, of polling no, haven't what
1: they is To stop those voters especially in the seats that Carvin won in scotland and the like 15 seats i think he came within five percent of winning what's to stop all of those seats from going well hang on a minute there's the very real possibility the Tories are not going to win this election at all. Brexit is not an issue, and they will go, do I want an SNP MP who is going to be entirely on the outside of government policy because Labour has ruled out any deal with the SNP? Yeah, I
0: think it's less likely, I isn't it?
1: to go and vote for a Labour MP and then be able to have an MP who is sat either on government benches or... Has the direct of a government minister. What we could see is a lot of people in Scotland then go, Well, actually, I want a bigger piece of the pie. I want an MP that will have direct on government yeah, policy. It's all about money,
2: isn't it? Like what money And do you get?
1: Labour could well get into the mid to high teens in Scotland, and that could put them on the precipice that they don't even need the votes of the Lib Dems. They could form government. With the confidence just from the SDLP implied. Yeah, Cumberland.
2: and they're already around the 300 mark at the moment, anyway.
1: Is that they're polling potentially about 310, I'm seeing as the general figure on now casts. So if they were to then be able to win, pick up, say, another 10 in Scotland, puts them at 320, practically, officially, you need 326 for majority, practically, when you factor in Speaker, Deputy Speakers, and Sinn Fein you only need about 322. So if Labour can get to the high 310s or to 320, they only really need to get the two SDLP MPs that will likely be elected, and then the four or five CLAD Camry MPs, and that could give them a barely functional, but functional majority.
0: They'll take anything now, though, won't they? Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> I think the desperate, they're desperate for the power. power. Though, if they will be in the same position as Mrs May. It will be very similar to Mrs May's position of either a wafer thin majority or they're going to be constantly having to go cap in hand to other parties. But I suppose <laughs> their third option is to just go outright, we're not going to do deal with any one minority and we are going to dare the SNP and Lib Dems as anti-Tory policies to kick us out and let the Tories in.
0: <coughs> William, Which- any final words?
2: Yeah, but I, I would agree with that. I mean, I would. I, I mean, I hasten to add that a Lib Dem. Labour coalition could be a tack line for the Tories to use in terms of Brexit, because I mean, I've, I've predicted before a few times that Labour, if in government, if they had a significant amount of votes, they wouldn't vote to rejoin the European Union, but they would, I, I could see the EU using them to drag us back into some EU spheres, uh, maybe customs union or single market. Uh, one or both uh, and I, I think that the Tories will probably use that they'll use the coalition scare but it depends where Labour are in the polls if they're in a more comfortable position they could potentially rule out any kind of agreement and try and win a majority uh, but it just depends where they are
0: but uh, ironically that's actually the Tories fault because in the in Johnson's Brexit deal uh, basically it's going to be in 2024 I believe there's an opportunity to opt in renegotiate yeah, of some sort so essentially they've left the door open for people like Labour or the Lib Dems yes, to uh, do that.
2: And the EU didn't want us to leave and want us to come back in. That's one thing. Even Remainers sometimes don't understand this. If they could have their chance, they'd have us back in. Uh, and I think they, they're using the renegotiation parts of the agreement to do that, potentially.
1: And I think the other thing that can't be ignored is with the cost of living crisis, if we get to the position of the next election where, you know, I think we're still definitely struggling with the economy, but most of Europe has actually recuperated and is maybe not in as bad recession or even not in recession at all, then the argument for rejoining at the very least the single market and customs union becomes infinitely stronger. And I think then trying to say Labour wanting to go into that is a bad thing wouldn't work because a compulsive economies would show that it's proving better in the single market without it. I mean, they would be
2: clever about it is they wouldn't frame it as completely rejoining the EU. Uh, they'd be clever about it, of course. let say it's oh, no, our we own deal. would not
1: in any way be rejoining the EU. We well, it would, we be would be because would the
2: single market customs, customs union gives you aspects of EU membership that we didn't like and voted against. So it would do, but that's not the way they'll frame it.
0: Well, I don't, I don't think we should worry about that. The, the Italian economy is about to explode, so Yes, the the, That's true. on its... On its, knees oh, it's the euro.
2: It's the eurozone. At the end of the day, isn't it? Which, thank <laughs> goodness, we didn't join.
0: <laughs> right. So I think uh, we've had. We've said all that we needed to say. So uh, yeah, it has been great uh, chatting to you lads. Uh, thanks, William, and uh, thanks, Jake, for coming on. My no pleasure. Problem. I hope to maybe do it again soon. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm heaven, sure, no, heaven uh, forbid
2: that I become a regular. Goodness me. <laughs>
0: I'm not sure. Uh, well, what's her name? Uh how, what, The Labour MP who just refuses to give up her seat. She's been arrested a couple of times. Oh, um
2: Webb, Claudia Webb.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully she finally coughs up her seat and we can rejoin again and have another chat. Uh, oh, come
2: yes. Up. Come oh, on. We might even Get going, a, Claudia. Or
1: something <laughs> and from with um, David Warburton, who's being gar- investigated. We could oh, get
2: yeah, a yeah.
1: <laughs> Lib Dem in a Tory, in God, a Tory I am anyway.
2: sick of by-elections, not about you. <laughs>
1: oh, no, but just to touch on that first slightly, if one were to happen in Somerton and from or through however you say it, it's terrible to say, that used to be a Lib Dem seat as well. So if a Lib Dem, a vacancy were to crop up there in a by-election in these circumstances, I think we'd see the Lib Dems have, start doing the Macarena.
2: God, they're painting the town orange, aren't they? Oh, well,
0: absolutely. That's uh, a chat for another time anyway. So, yeah, we don't uh, want to get too absolutely. much into that. <laughs> thanks again, lads, and uh, thanks to everyone else for joining in and uh, listening uh, to the three people who are still listening at this point. So <laughs> yeah, they, they, they peeled off ages ago, didn't they? And if you didn't, <laughs> you deserve a medal.
1: It's probably going to be us three just listening to it all back <laughs>
0: ourselves. <balance. laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway... Thanks, everyone, and uh, join us uh, for another episode soon.